Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. Thank you for joining us on our live stream. Come see us in person sometime. We'd love to have you. Um, hey, has this ever happened to you? Um, have you ever had what you thought was a good idea to turn out to be a bad idea? Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah, man, all of it kind of. Jenny, my wife, is all about some doTERRA essential oils. I mean, she, yeah, I know, man, she is all about it. And we got diffusers all over our house. I mean, it, you walk in our house, man, you, you're getting whiffs of all kinds of wonderful essential oils that just set the mood. You know what I'm talking about? Honestly, I was a little bit of skeptic about all that. I don't know, man. Every, every, every time I walk in a room, something's puffing. You know, I'm like, man, I don't know about all that. Uh, until one night, I went to go get in bed, and Jenny had rubbed my pillowcase down with lavender. Ooh, baby. I ain't kidding, man. My head hit the pillow. Boom, I was out. I woke up the next day like, what happened? She said, I told you. All right. So I thought, well, all right, I can live with all that stuff. Well, the other day, um, I get up, go in the bathroom, brushing my teeth, mirror, you know, I'm looking at the toilet's right over there. I see this little poof, little puff of smoke in the mirror. What is that? that smells like those oils. What is that, man? Not to... And sure enough, on the back of the toilet was this little diffuser that had a motion sensor on it. So when you get in front of the toilet, poof. Which sounds like a great idea, right? And it really works out pretty well if you're a sitter. But if you're a stander, <laughs> what happens is you go stand and poof, little puff of smoke, oils all in. <laughs> I mean, it's right in your face, man. It wasn't a great experience. Not even telling you what it did to my aim. I mean, that was bad, man. <laughs> what seemed like a great idea turned out to be a problem. Hey, hey, don't, don't you love this about God, though? God is big enough to take our bad ideas... And still accomplish his plan for our lives. One of my life verses, I love this verse, man. Proverbs 16, 9. We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I mean, what a great... You know really what that's about? I mean, this has played out so many times in life, right? I'm going through life, and, and, and I got a, what I think is a good idea, but it turns out bad. And we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You know what that's about? It's the sovereign hand of God overruling our plans for his purpose. I, I go through this all the time. Man, I, I, I'm going through life and I got an idea. Man, because I'm always having ideas. Oh, we could do this. We could do that. I got this idea. And it turns out not to be. It, it's, a, it's a little diffuser idea. It doesn't turn out that great, man. But you know what God does? God just gets me back on the right steps. And I'm just, oh, I'm going to do this. I go, God gets me back on the right steps. So we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. This is about the sovereign hand of God 
overruling our plans to accomplish his purpose in our life. And the most important time in our lives to trust the sovereign hand of God is when life makes no sense. You ever live there? You're just looking around life and you're going, man, what is going on? In Acts 25, we've made it to chapter 25 in our study of Acts. By the way, only four more weeks in the book of Acts. We're going to make it to the... One guy told me, he said, Pastor, it's taking you longer to preach the book of Acts than it took Paul to live it. I know it feels like a long time. January 2020, we started our study of the book of Acts. Anyway, so we've made it to chapter 25. And, and, and let me kind of remind you what's going on. Uh, God told Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem, then you're going to go to Rome, and you're going to suffer a lot of stuff, and you're going to end up in jail. But he goes. He knows this is what God want, wants. And when he gets there, he, he goes with some of the Jewish leaders and, and the apostles, some of the Jewish believers and, and the apostles, and they, and they go over to the temple area. And a uh, big riot breaks out because they want to kill Paul. Uh, the commander of the guard there, Roman garrison, they, he ends up kind of saving him. Uh, Paul speaks to the crowd. It gets even worse. Um, he, he, he has a little kind of mock hearing with some of the Jewish leaders. He, he says, look, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this to me. So they take him to Caesarea. And he gets there, and those Roman uh, uh, officials, uh, are they're kind of guarding him from these Jewish leaders. And then the Jewish leaders come, and they have a trial. Uh, and the governor there, his name was Felix. Um, he was kind of the same position as Pontius Pilate was uh, in Jesus' time. And, and so um, Fe- uh, Felix basically says, I don't know, throws up his hands. They leave. And here's kind of where it's at. Look look at this. After two years, I mean, Paul's just sitting in jail for two years. After two years uh, went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Two years. Man, are you kidding me? But we're going to see. When life doesn't make any sense, man, we cling to the sovereign hand of God in our life. Because whether it makes any sense to us or not, God has a plan. And it's a good plan. So let's see what we can learn from Paul about the sovereign hand of God. So here we go. Helpful things to remember about God's sovereign hand. Here's the first one. Write this down. Uh, When it feels like it will never and God has a plan. You ever been there? This is never going to end. It won't let up. Look at uh, Acts 25 verse 1. Three days after Festus. Now Festus was the guy who took Felix's place two years in jail. So three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities He left for Jerusalem where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush and kill him on the way. Uh, Boy, boy, that didn't take long, did it? I mean, two years have gone by. 
Festus gets there to Caesarea three days later, goes to Jerusalem. They're waiting on him. Man, they, they, they can't wait to get after Paul, verse 4. But Festus uh, replied that Paul's at Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. Now, Festus uh, knew that Paul was a Roman citizen, had to handle all this carefully. So after two years, <laughs> you can imagine, Paul's in it. One month, another month, another month, another month, another month. 24 months later, Paul hears, oh, hey, wait a minute. Felix is out. We're getting a new governor, Festus. Man, maybe you'll listen to me. Maybe I can get out of here, get on with doing God's work. But Festus, in only three days, he goes to Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders immediately bring up Paul. I mean, just let that sink in a minute. After two years, they are still hot to kill Paul as they were on day one. I mean... And they tried to convince Festus to bring him to Jerusalem. They tried that before. Remember, it didn't really work. Festus says, no, but uh, you can come make your accusations in Caesarea. Uh, so Paul, uh, you know, he's got to be thinking, man, are you kidding me? Is this ever going to end? Haven't we already done this? I mean, two years ago, we did the same thing. Ever been there? Are you there now? You know, when it feels like this isn't going away. No matter what I do, it's not going away. Don't be discouraged. Listen to me, don't be discouraged. In God's perfect time, His sovereign hand will move in his perfect way just for you. Here's another thing to remember about God's sovereign hand. Uh, when it feels like no one is listening, God is. Um, isn't it a horrible feeling to be talking to somebody and you know they're not really listening to you? Isn't that terrible? I mean, I got to be honest with you, man. Um, this happens to me way more than it should. Jenny or Chloe especially. I don't know why those two, but it's true. They'll be talking to me, and I'm thinking about something else, and they know. I mean, they just know. They got that radar thing, man. And they, and they just look. did you hear what I said? Uh, yeah. What I say? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you guys get this, right? There's a huge difference between listening and hearing. Nobody's, nobody's hearing Paul. Look, look what happens now. Verse 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 6. Uh, about eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea. And on the following day, he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations. Now, look at this next phrase. They could not prove. Verse 8. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple 
or the Roman government, he said. Um, These are the exact same accusations they made to Felix two years earlier. Nothing has changed. Verse 9. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked it. Boy, now there's there's no bias there, right? I mean, I'm I'm supposed to be the judge here in all this, but I'm wanting to please this side. Festus wanting to please the Jews asked him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, no. This is an official Roman court. Now remember, he had claimed his Romans and citizenship. That this is an official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty of harming the Jews. Now, now stop right there a second. You know Paul's got to be thinking, man, how many times do I have to say this? How many times will these Roman officials just bend their ear toward these Jewish leaders? They just keep making false false accusations. They have no evidence. Finally, out of frustration, Paul just takes it to another level. Look what happens in verse 11. If I've done something worthy of death... I don't refuse to die. You know what that's called? Integrity. But if I'm innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Boom. There it is. Whole new level. Verse 12. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, very well, you have appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you will go. So Paul as a Roman citizen, had the right to appeal his case to Caesar, to go to the emperor. Now, um, at the time, Caesar was the emperor Nero. Now, Nero was probably the most most ruthless um, emperor to ever rule in Rome, especially toward uh, the Christians. He was the one who fed the Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. He, he, would, he would dip them in tar and impale them on stakes and put them around the city and light them on fire and use them as torches at night. He killed their families in torturous ways. Tradition says he's the, he's the Roman emperor that fiddled while Rome burned and then he blamed it on the Christians. So Paul thinks, man, I appeal to Caesar. Maybe I can get a fair hearing then. But at this time in history, Nero had not yet started to do all those terrible things. So Paul's unaware of that. He thinks he can get a fair hearing, but things are getting ready to go from bad to worse. Now, Paul obviously feels like he has no choice. So he just played his trump card because nobody's listening to him. You know, I'm sure he had those moments where it feels like nobody's listening. No matter what I say, nobody's listening. But I'm also equally sure in those moments he remembered this. Look at this verse, Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to hear cries for help. 
when it feels like nobody else listening, God's ear is bent toward you. When it feels like nobody else is caring what you're saying, God's ear cares about you. God wants to help you. When it feels like nobody's listening, God's listening. And here's the amazing thing about God. Not only does God listen, God speaks. So many times in my life, when I felt alone, and I'm crying out to God, God doesn't just listen. God begins to speak. I hear you. I'm with you. I'm not ever going to leave you. You can trust me. You don't have to understand it. Just trust me. It's a big deal. When you feel like nobody's listening, God is. Here's another thing to remember about God's sovereign hand. When it feels like everyone's against you, God is not. Um, Acts uh, 25 verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. Now, stop right there. So Festus was kind of the Roman governor of that area. But they also had a local king, a king of Judea, um, and that was King Agrippa. But I need to give you a little family history here. So uh, Agrippa's grandfather was Herod the Great who was the guy who was king when Jesus was born. He's the one that killed all the babies, you know, just hoping to get Jesus. Then Agrippa's father was Herod Antipas. Um, He's the one uh, that had John the Baptist beheaded. You remember that whole story where uh, every time John the Baptist would see him, see, Herod Antipas had taken his brother's wife and then acted like they wouldn't, wasn't married, then married her. And so every time John the Baptist would see him, he would just say, you married your brother's wife. And it got under her skin eventually. And then you had that old thing where, you know, he has John arrested, ends up cutting his head off. And it was all because of this vindictive wife that really wasn't supposed to be his wife to begin with. And just because John was pointing out their sin, they had his head cut off. That's Agrippa's dad. Now, King, King Agrippa now shows up with his sister Bernice. Now, his sister Bernice was married to her uncle, and, she, and, his, and her uncle died, and now she is with her brother, King Agrippa. But everyone knew this isn't just some brother-sister gig. I mean, you know. Bernice isn't singing, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. She's singing, love to love you, baby. You got to be old to even understand that reference, but I went with it anyway. (laughs) The point is, this is one messed up family. I mean, this family makes the Kardashians look like Jason Wilson's family. (laughs) 
They are messed up. Verse 14. So King Agrippa and his wife, sister, concubine, somebody, Bernice shows up. Verse 14. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There's a prisoner here, he told him, uh, whose case was left for me by Felix. He doesn't really want to take responsibility for it. This isn't in my mess. Felix left it for me. Verse 15. Uh, when I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. Verse 16. I, point out, I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. Verse 17. When his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. Oh, there it is. Paul is always about the risen Lord Jesus every time, period. I want to tell you something. No matter where you're at in life, you run to the cross, you run to the empty tomb, you're going to get some help. Verse 20. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor, so I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said, and Festus replied, you will tomorrow. And they just keep jerking Paul around. And they act like all this is within their authority. They don't even know God's sovereign hand is at work. I love what Dr. Constable says. He, he says, Paul had become a political pawn of men in a chess game run by God. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? King Agrippa, he wasn't a Roman. He had just been given Roman authority. Agrippa was a proud Jew and would have been very familiar with Jewish laws and customs. No doubt, Paul was thinking, King Agrippa would be absolute sympathetic to those Jewish leaders. He's one of them. So Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, he, he, he described these kind of people really well. Look, look what he said. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That's who Paul's dealing with. So let's add all that up. The Jewish leaders are against him. Felix against Paul. Festus is against Paul. Now they bring in the king who's probably against Paul too. You ever feel like no matter which way you turn, somebody's against you? You ever feel like all my allies have disappeared and all I have is enemies? When you feel like everyone is against you, God is 
not. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? That never gets old. Mm. One more thing to remember about the sovereign hand of God. When it feels like my integrity is working against me, God is faithful. Have you ever felt like you're being punished for doing the right thing? You, you ever felt like that? Um, I'm sure there's an Andy Griffith episode about that with he and Opie. You ever been there? And all they're trying to do is the right thing. And it just feels like it's working against me. Look at Acts 25, 23. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men in the city, and Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Now, let's stop right there because you got to get that scene in your mind. I mean, they're in an auditorium. I mean, just, just kind of picture it. I mean, this room lavishly furnished, decorated with elegant wood, colorful drapes, um, embellished uh, with elaborate decor of every kind. And everybody's waiting. And here comes Agrippa with Kim Kardashian on his, I mean, with Bernice on his arm. All their entourage. The, the auditorium is filled with pomp. Festus is there and he announces his arrival. He's the one representing Roman authority. Prominent men of the city are there. Everyone who was anyone wanted to be here for this spectacle. They all entered with all the pomp and circumstance they could muster, led by the captain of the palace guard. They were all dressed in the finest linens and silks and radiant colors. Then Festus orders Paul to be brought into the auditorium. Paul's brought before these imposing earthly powers. He's small in stature. Been in jail two years. Same clothes. Physically unimposing, chains dangling around his hands. But the expression on his face was magnetic. In his eyes, there's a, there's a glint of majesty. When he speaks, his voice cuts through the pretentious elegance of the auditorium. Paul is neither impressed with Agrippa nor intimidated by Roman power. Verse 24. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. Wait a minute. All the Jews? Really? I mean, some of the Jews were believers. I mean, verse 25. But in my opinion, he has done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. 
if he's done nothing deserving of being punished, why don't you just let him go? Why are you send him to Caesar? And all that really creates a problem for Festus because he knows he doesn't have anything to charge him with. Look what happens, verse 26. <laughs> but what shall I write to the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it, ta- for it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Now, I mean, just let that sink in a minute. I mean, after all of that, after two years in jail, now they're going to make up charges so that he'll be guilty so that they can send him to Caesar because that's what he's asked and he had that right as a Roman citizen and he's doing it because he knows he's innocent. They know he's innocent. So they have to make up charges to send him where he wants to go. In God's hands directed it all. (laughs) I can't even think of anything to charge Paul with. You see, when you feel like you're being punished for doing the right thing, Remember, God's keeping score. So how do you respond when you feel that way? How do you respond when you feel like this is never going to end? When you feel like no one's listening? When you feel like everyone's against me? When it feels like I'm being punished for doing the right thing? How do you respond? Two things. Here's the first one. Write this down. Let God hear your heart. I would have loved to have been in that jail cell with Paul and listen to his prayers. I mean, could you imagine? Every day, God, I trust you. Every day, God, I don't know what to do. And God says, it's okay. I've got a plan. You can trust me. When you feel like all that, I can't even begin to tell you how important it is that you pour out your heart to God, that you tell God how you feel, that you tell God how you feel, that you ask God for help. Let God hear your heart. And the other thing is, let God fill your cup. You, you see, God's sovereign hand can be slow. <laughs> listen to me now. If you're listening, say amen. God's sovereign hand can be slow. But when he fills your cup, it's instantaneous. It just happens. Because you get this, right? Our cups don't stay full. They leak. Most of the time, we're unaware that our cups have gotten empty because we're still doing all the stuff that we do. I'm just telling you, this is a real trap for me. I can think because I'm doing spiritual things, I'm spiritually full. It's just not how it works. Same be true for you. Just because you're doing spiritual things doesn't mean you're spiritually full. And you get this, right? You can't fill your own cup. Soul renewal is not self-serve. 
Only God can do that. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what's the word, class? Filled. God wants to fill your cup. Happened to me last week. A few of us went to a church conference in Atlanta. And it was uh, on Wednesday evening. It was a long drive. I can't say I was overly engaged in what was going on, but God just kind of got me dialed in. And this lady walks out on the stage. And I'm listening, and she just starts singing. Just by herself. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. And I melted. I mean, I didn't know I was empty. And I just sat there and just let God fill me up. You see, when God fills our cup, our soul gets refreshed. Our strength gets renewed. We remember who God is and what this is all about. Maybe you're empty. No one may not know because you're doing the things you always do. You may not know. Maybe you do. Jason, come up here. I want you to do something for me. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Jason's going to sing a little bit for you. When he sings, if, uh, if you're empty, would you just check your own cup right now and see where it's at? How you feeling about all that? And Jason's going to sing a little bit. If you, if you need your cup filled, When he starts singing, just, just stand up. Just tell God, fill my cup. Just fill my cup, Lord. I'm dry. Fill my cup, Lord. That's right. Who else needs to get filled? That's right. Who else? I lift it up, Lord. Right. Come and quench this thirsty in my soul. That's right. Bread of heaven. Yeah, let 
God, God, fill them up, Lord. Feed me till I want fill them up. Here's my yeah, praise the Fill it up and make me whole. Fill them, God. Pour it out on them, Lord. Fill my cups. Who else? Fill me, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Yeah. Come and quench this You're feeling alone. You're feeling like nobody's listening. Cup feeling empty. Just stand up, let God fill you up. Red of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Father, hear your children hungering and thirsting for righteousness, God. Fill them. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know you're listening. Let them know they can trust you no matter what they're going through. Fill them up. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.